Good morning, Altoona Regular Baptist Church, and welcome. It is Sunday, uh, May 31st, and this is our morning service. We'll be together this morning in John 4, and we'll finish chapter 4, verses 27 to 42. I invite you to take your Bible, join me there. If you don't have a Bible with you, get up, get one, follow along as we look at John 4, 27 to 42. Let's open with a word of prayer. And then we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. As we gather this morning around your word, wherever we may be, we pray that your spirit would work in each one of us through your word. That whether we are uh, at, gathered together at Altoona Regular Baptist Church or whether we are at home watching online, we pray that, that your spirit would work for your glory and for our good. That you would open our eyes as we look at this passage. That we'd be challenged. And then that as we go, that, that the, the principles in this passage would be applied to us and we would go and we would act on them. And we would go to the fields to which you have called us and that we would make disciples. Pray that you would uh, minimize distractions. Help us to focus in this time. Give me boldness this morning as I preach your truth from, from John 4. That you give me clarity of mind and boldness to proclaim your truth. And pray all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me as I read John 4 verses 27. To 42. At this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. My brother-in-law, Peter, 
works on a, a large farm uh, north, uh, a little bit north of here. And working on that farm, he has kind of an odd schedule. It changes throughout the year. There's specifically two times of the year when he finds himself extremely busy. When it comes time to plant and when it comes time to harvest. And during those times of the year, Peter will find himself working early mornings to late nights. A, 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 an irregular schedule. And he'll work that for, for weeks on end. But then between those times, he, he works a much more normal schedule. But at no point in the year is there nothing to do. Between harvest, between planting and harvest, there's still work to be done. There's still things to be prepared, machines to be worked on and fixed, plans to be made, fields to be prepped. There's never nothing to do. As we come to our passage this morning, we see that same principle, but we see it on, a, on an eternal scale. When it comes to evangelism, to the gospel, there, there's never nothing to do. There are always souls, there are seeds to be planted and souls to be won. And that's what we'll see this morning as we come to this passage in John 4, 27-42. As we work our way through this passage, we'll see first the disciples' confusion, then Jesus' explanation, and the Samaritan woman's testimony. The first thing we see this morning in verses 31 to 33 is confusion. See, last week we ended uh, our passage as we worked through the first uh, 30 verses of John 4, looking at Jesus' interaction specifically with the Samaritan woman at the well. And we finish by looking at verses 27 to 30. As we come this morning, our majority of our passage this morning, verses 31 to 38, actually take place in the middle of verse 28, if that makes sense. So verse 28, 29, and 30 kind of jump to the end of the story. And, and, and verses 31 to 38 take place kind of in there. So in verse 28 it says, The woman then left her water pot. If you remember, the disciples have come back from Sychar. They've gotten food. They've returned. Jesus has been having this conversation with the Samaritan woman. As his disciples get back, the woman then leaves her water pot and goes away into the city. Verses 29 and 30 discuss her conversation in the city with the men of Sychar. But here at this point, partway through verse 28, is where verse 31 picks up. While she's in Sychar, recruiting people, testifying of who Jesus is, of who she's met, Jesus has this interaction at the well now, again, with his disciples. Verse 31 starts this way, In the meantime, while the woman has left, she's left her water pot, she's gone back to the city. So in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat! 
Right? You, you were hungry, you were thirsty, we've all been tired, we've got into the city, we've gotten food, we've brought it back, now let's eat, let's dine, let's rest. That was their whole purpose in, in going into the city to begin with, was to get food, as we see in verse 8. But here Jesus responds to them in a very surprising way. He says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Would have been a startling statement to the disciples. Their minds would start racing. What, what do you mean you have food that we don't know about? You mean you had us go all the way into the city to, to mingle with these Samaritans and this whole time you had food? They're confused. They, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. We see that actually in verse 33. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? What, if, what did we miss? He didn't have food before we got here that, that we know of. We did see a Samaritan woman leave as we came. Did she give him food? Has someone else come by? Have they already provided for him? As the passage goes on, we come to understand that Jesus is talking about something far greater than physical food. But the disciples here are confused. They have completely missed what Jesus is talking about. In fact, we're beginning to see a, a pattern in the book of John of Jesus being misunderstood. If you remember in John 2, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, when Jesus says to them, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. They completely miss what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus, in John 3, you must be born again. Nicodemus completely misunderstands what Jesus is talking about. He misses the points. Earlier in John 4, with, with the Samaritan woman, Jesus promised her living water. And if you remember, at first she completely missed the point. She doesn't get it. Her mind is on, on temporal. It's on the immediate. Jesus is speaking about something so much greater. And then here, with food, Jesus' disciples, once again, completely Missed the point. Their focus is on the temporal. It's on the immediate. It's on this need right here. And Jesus' focus, as we'll see, is on something so much greater. They missed the point. But we must not miss the point. In fact, all throughout this passage, all throughout John 4, not just the passage we're looking at this morning, but, but the entire chapter of John 4, temporal needs are set aside because of greater spiritual needs. With the Samaritan woman, she needed water. In fact, Jesus needed water too. He was thirsty. But Jesus had in mind something greater. There was a greater need than her need for water and for his need for, for water and rest. And we see that in the fact in verse 28 that, that she leaves her water pot. 
The light has gone on. She's, she's understood there's something greater. There's a greater need. Something more urgent than, than this water that I need. So she runs and she tells. So we come to verses 31 to 33. We see, again, the disciples are focused on this, this temple, this immediate need. And Jesus is focusing on a so much greater need. And what we must understand as we come to this passage before we even really get into it is the lesson that we are seeing here is not asceticism. The lesson that Jesus' teaching is here is not that, that water is not important and, and that food is bad and stay away from those. Neglect your body. That, that's not the lesson. But the lesson is that we must have right priorities. I want to start that, state that here at the beginning so you can see that as we move forward. We must have right priorities. The problem is not eating. The problem is not drinking. The problem is when eating and drinking get in the way of what is more important, what is most important. So as we start here in verses 31 to 33, we see this confusion. The disciples have missed the point. They don't understand that Jesus is talking about a greater need. As we come then to verses 34 to 38, Jesus explains and teaches, explains what he means and then teaches his disciples. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food. My food. There, there is something that is more needful, more fulfilling, more satisfying to me in this moment than physical food. What I need now is not that bread or, or, or that meat or whatever it may be. What I need now is to do the will of Him who sent me. That's my greatest need. Jesus here is likely referring, or at least has in mind, Deuteronomy 8.3. It's a well-known passage where, where Moses states, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. There's a very real sense in which the man of God is sustained by the word of God, by the calling of God, by, by fulfilling what is most important in the moments. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. My food is to do the will of, of him who sent me. Right here we see, see another lesson. It's God who sent Christ for the God so loved the world that he gave. John 3, 16. 1 John 4, 14. The Father sent the Son. And to finish his work. The mission that, that the Father has sent me on. Again, Jesus is not here teaching his disciples to neglect their bodies. But he's teaching them to have their priorities right. Have right priorities. 
My food in this moment, what brings me satisfaction, what is most needful, is to do the will of the Father. And right now, that does not look like eating food. That looks like preparing for these Samaritans who are coming. Preparing you and you getting ready. Verse 35, Jesus goes on to then teach. He's explained, my food, I have a greater purpose. Verse 35, do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. This could have been a, a saying, a, a proverb of the day, or it could just be a general principle. It could just be you get done planting and it comes, you, you know, harvest is, is four to six months away. And as you look at that time between, you think, okay, I've done the hard work, I've got more hard work coming, now's the time to focus on me. Now's the time to relax, to do what I want to do. I have nothing to do now. Now is the time to rest. Behold, I say to you, that is not a time to rest, it's a time to work. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. Look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. The temptation may be, culture may even tell you, now's the time to rest, there's nothing important to do. And I'm telling you, there's a ton to do. There's work to be done. Lift up your eyes and look. Pay attention. That phrase, lift up your eyes and look, pay attention, reminds me of what I often have to say to my children. We recently started doing chores, having lists of chores for the kids to do, and, and some of them are... are putting shoes away, or cleaning this room, or helping to uh, clear the dishwasher, things like that. And what I often find is when it, when it comes time to check on their work, I'll go in, I'll check their room to make sure they clean their room or put the shoes away, and it's very obvious, still toys and shoes around. And I'll say, did you, did you finish it? Yes, we did. They're not trying to lie to me, they're just really, they're not paying attention. Open your eyes and look! Right, there, there's still toys on the ground. There's a shoe over there. Pay attention! Or really, where this really comes out, when it comes time to, to, to find a shoe or to find something, right? When a kid needs something and, and you say, go look in your room. They go up there and they look. And they come back, it's not there. Alright, fine, I'll go look. When you walk in the room, within five seconds, you locate it. What's the problem? They're, they're not paying attention. They're not looking. That's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. Open your eyes. It's obvious. It's right in front of you. Look. Look. Pay attention. Look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. The grain has sprouted and is ripe. If his disciples had missed it, 
to this point, it's abundantly clear now that Jesus is not simply talking about food. Hopefully they've, they've picked up on that now. But he's taking that idea of food and he's using it to teach a lesson. And that lesson is that there is always work to do. It is ready for harvest. Verse 36 builds on that idea. He who reaps receives wages. In the New King James, that, that passage almost sounds like, that, that verse almost sounds like, a, you know, and if you work, you'll get wages, you'll get paid. But really, the, the stress here is not on the reward, but it's on the immediacy of the need. You can see that in, in other translations. For instance, the ESV says, already the one who works receives wages. The NASB says the same thing. Already the one who is working receives wages. The Holcomb says, says the, the, the reaper is already receiving pay. The NIV, even now the one who reaps draws a wage. The point is, is, is look, the fields are ready for harvest. In fact, there's already people in there working. And they're, they're getting enough to make a wage. And so go and join them. There's work to do. There's work that needs to be done right now. Already, even now. Already the one who works is receiving wages. And, and he gathers fruit for eternal life. Followers of Jesus, souls to be saved. That both he who sows, plants, and he who reaps, or harvests, may rejoice together. They have the same goal. Here Jesus comes around to a lesson that we saw just a few weeks ago. The end of John 3, where Jesus is talking to his, uh, you have Jesus' disciples, and you have John's disciples. And you remember John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, were, were jealous of Jesus and his ministry. And John, what does John say there? He says, I must decrease, he must increase. It's not about rivalry, it's about bringing people to Jesus. And that's the point here, once again, there is no place for rivalry in Christian ministry. Rejoice, they, they rejoice together, they have the same goal. Whether you plant the seed or whether you pick the corn. Either way, you have the same goal, the same end in mind, the same purpose. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Another well-known saying in farming communities. And you hear Jesus applies it to his spiritual lesson. One sows and another reaps. But they both win. They've accomplished the same goal. They've worked together. There's no point in sowing if there's no one to reap. And you can't reap if no one has sowed. They're working together towards the same goal. Verse 3, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. 
and you have entered into their labors. The man who shares the gospel and is laughed at or ignored is just as important and responsible to do what is necessary as the woman who later ends up leading that person to Christ. They're both working for the same goal. Whether you reap or whether you sow, it's not up to you. Where you fall in that process, it's not your responsibility to figure that out. Your responsibility is to go. To not sit by and, and let the opportunity pass, but to get to work, to share the gospel. So that we can all rejoice together. For there is a great need. And we serve a great Savior. So we come to the end of this passage, to verses 39 to 42, then we see the testimony. Testimony of the woman of Samaria. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Many believed because of her testimony. And, and, and what was her testimony? Do you remember? From verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I think, I th I think so often we get stuck on not knowing what to say that we don't say anything at all. And the moment passes us by. The effectiveness of the Samaritan woman is not in who she was. She was looked down on in her society. The effectiveness is not even necessarily in what she said. She had a simple message. Could this be the Christ? But she said something. She was not a trained evangelist. She didn't know the Romans' road. She didn't even have the Romans' road. She probably not even fully grasped everything that was happening. But she went and she said something. She understood the importance that there's something big happening here. And I may not fully understand it, but I need to bring people to Jesus. And because she said something, many of the Samaritans of the city believed. Verse 40, so she brings them to Jesus. So, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
and many more believed because of his own word. Therefore they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Really what we see in verses 39 to 42 is everything that Jesus has taught earlier in this passage lived out. Right? We, for, we see the importance of discipleship over other plans, over other necessary things. Jesus and his disciples had, had a mission, right? They were trying to get back to Galilee. It was not in their plans to stay here in Samaria for two days. In fact, it was probably inconvenient. It changed their entire schedule. But it was a rewarding inconvenience. It's an inconvenience that is worth it. Because Jesus knows and he's trying to help his disciples to see that there is something that is more important. There is something that is more important than the water that, that my body needs and the food that my body needs and just eating. There's something that is more important than, than being on time and that is bringing people to Jesus. Because of that, they stayed for two days and they preached and they discipled and they laughed. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. Not only that, but in these verses we also see the principle of sowing and reaping. Right? Verse 39, many of the Samaritans in the city believed because of the word of the woman who testified. But then look at verse 42. After hearing Jesus, then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Samaritan woman planted the seed, and, and many believed when she did that. But then when Jesus came, Jesus watered that seed and Jesus reaped and many more believed. And for many of them, their faith grew that had been established earlier. We ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And that last sentence there, that is an amazing admission for a Samaritan to make, that this is the Savior of the world. He's not just a Jewish Savior. He's not just an Amer a Samaritan Savior. He's the Savior of the world. They recognize what Jesus testified in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. And that's good news for you and me. But He is the Christ, He's the Savior of the world. Of your sins and of my sins, if we will but believe. So by way of application, first, 
as John testifies at the end of his book, the first application of every passage in John is this, that you might believe. In this chapter, you have heard the testimony of the Samaritan woman. You have heard the testimony of the other Samaritans in that city of Sychar. And all of them together, after having encountered Jesus, testified that this is the Savior of the world. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you hate your sin? Have you turned to Christ? Not to your good works. Not to your church attendance. Not to your, your family. Have you turned to Christ alone for forgiveness, for salvation? So that's the first application. That you would trust in Christ this morning. For the rest of us, for those of us who are in Christ, the application is this this morning, that we would open our eyes to the needs of those around us. That we would get our priorities straight. Far too often we find ourselves waiting for the right moment instead of seizing the moment that is before us. I love the fact that I am a southerner. I grew up in, in Greenville, South Carolina. And I take every opportunity I get to talk to another southerner. To talk to someone about South Carolina, about sweet tea, about Waffle House, things that I love from the south. I'm not embarrassed by my identity as a southerner. I love that. I embrace it. It's natural, it's normal, it's comfortable for me because it's who I am. But I must ask myself, why does it so often seem so awkward to talk about my Savior? To talk about my identity in Christ. That is of the utmost importance. If most of the people who I come in contact with know that I am from South Carolina, that I love sweet tea, that I'm a fan of the Colts and of the Pacers and of the Tar Heels, if they know those things about me before they know my identity as a Christian, then I don't have my priorities straight. Then I need to reevaluate. My primary identity and what is of the most importance is my identity in Christ and my need to share Christ. And brothers and sisters, I hope that you this morning are being challenged with these truths. You're not a Christian because you tell others about Christ. But if you are a Christian, you will tell others about Christ. It's the most important thing about you. It should flow out of us naturally, not awkwardly. 
time is now. The fields are ripe. And we must, we must tell the good news of our Savior. May God give us boldness. May He open our eyes to reorder our priorities. To seek first the things that matter. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that we are in Christ, all that you have given us in Christ. We pray this morning, Father, that you would give us boldness to go and to share the gospel, to embrace our identity in Christ, that that would naturally flow out of us, that as others interact with us, they will not be able to help but to recognize our faith, who we are, what is most important to us. Help us, Father, this morning to reorient our priorities. To take the gospel to the ripe fields of the greater Des Moines area. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.